What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us here for a very special Friday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. This is episode 300. It's actually insane that we've already gotten here. They just rack up when you do a show every single day, but we are at number 300. We're joined by a couple of very special guests to help us get going here as well. One of them has been on the show a couple times. He was actually our very first guest way back last March, and one of them is joining us here for the first time. Ryan Bloomfield of Baseball HQ and Vlad Sedler of FTN. Guys, thank you so much for joining me here, joining me here to commemorate this big episode for me. Yeah, man. Thanks so much for having having us, um, you know, having me and uh, Joe. Dude, I met you know, I met you at uh, FPAS, the uh, first pitch Arizona, and, and it was a pleasure. We just randomly ended up uh, walking over to to grab some lunch at Chick Fil A, and uh, you know, just really impressed with you and and your show, and you kind of blowing up in the industry. Oh, I appreciate that. Vlad, you introduced me to Chick-fil-A, so that will always hold a special place in my heart. I'd never been before you took me, and now it is a regular thing. that I They don't have a lot of them in Toronto. It's very hard to find one, but whenever I go, I do think of you, Vlad, because uh, we were both uh, not feeling 100% that day. We went and got some, uh, some chicken sandwiches, and it was a lot of fun to get to know you. Ryan, you were our first guest. You've been on a couple times. Really appreciate you uh, squeezing us in here. How are you doing today, man? Absolutely, man. Um, I'm I'm doing great. It's it's fun to see how far you have come from that first. I guess not not your first show, but as being your first your first guest. I remember talking to you after the show. We were talking about like first pitch Arizona. I was like, ah, oh, you should you should come down. And in the back of my head, I'm like, ah, Joe's not going to be. He's like up in Canada. It, you know, that's a long trip. And sure enough, you made it. So it was awesome to hang out with you down there, both of you guys. Um, I know Vlad, you were you were banging the Bubba and the Bloom drum for our live show down at at, at first pitch. So I appreciate that. As yeah, well. I, I, I'm but. the one that uh, I, I I get the credits, right? I get the the royalties for the uh, the famous photo. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. Little known fact: our our podcast logo was was shot by Vlad. I did not know that. That is at that first is pitch. Cool. That is cool. When I first talked to you a year ago, a little more than a year ago, Ryan, I would have never thought that I would actually get down to Arizona and be there. But I'm, I've talked about it probably once a week on the show since November, at, at least once a week. One of the best experiences that you guys can go. If you're into baseball, fantasy baseball, it is really a treat. You guys need to be going down there. And it is far from Canada, from coming from Toronto. But uh, I was able to share the plane with Patrick Davitt. So we were able to uh, chat a little bit there in the airport. I uh, got to know Patrick pretty well. HQ has always been good to me, so it's good to uh, to bring you back here and talk, Ryan. We are going to be talking about draft day regrets and look back on April as a whole a little bit. Before we get going, you guys can find me on Twitter. I'm at JoeOrico99. Vlad is at RotoGut, and Ryan is at RyanBHQ. All of their work is more than worth checking out over at FTN and Baseball HQ, two of the more knowledgeable people in the industry for sure. We're going to talk today about the mistakes that we have made so far in draft season. But first, let's talk just a little bit here about Matt Mervis. Matt Mervis got the call up today. What is your outlook on him? Is he a must roster in all formats for you guys? Let's start with you, Vlad. Is he somebody you'd be adding even in your very shallow leagues? Yeah, so uh, he was somebody that uh, was very, had some really major helium when we were all at first pitch Arizona because he was having a a fantastic uh, series there or a couple of weeks. And I think that's when his min uh, picks were being set. And this, of course, is early in the NFBC draft season. Uh, of course, that cooled off a little bit in March uh, because it was rather clear after the team had signed Eric Hosmer and uh, Trey Mancini and, and so on and so forth, Edwin Rios eventually, that he wasn't going to crack the, the lineup. So kind of held back a little bit. Uh, I think I have some Mervis shares in Gladiator that I'm very excited about uh, coming, coming on. 
But I do think he's uh, pretty much a guy that uh, I think he's going to go for a hefty sum in 15 teamers. I think if he gets off to a nice start, the same thing in 12 teamers. I don't think he's necessary in 10 teamers. Uh, but in, in 12 teamers, I picked him up on two of my five OCs. He was just available, grabbed him for six bucks. Um, so that's going to hopefully look good uh, for me. But I mean, again, still, he's a rookie. He's going to go through some lumps, I think. Uh, but hopefully he gets off to a nice hot start. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the play discipline, he's walking so far in AAA this year, 16% of the time, striking out only 17% of the time. We know he's got probably 25, 30, roughly home run upside. I added him in one league last week. I bid, I think, 25 bucks on him, and I was happy to maybe a slight overpay. But I think in a 15-teamer, that probably was all right. I mean, this week it's going to be a lot more expensive if you didn't get him. Ryan, what are your thoughts on Matt Mervis? Mostly echoing you guys. I mean, I think the the major thing that I look at, and in, in addition to just p- prospect pedigree, is like what's what does that path to regular playing time look like? I think Chicago's given up on a regular Eric Hosmer, regular Trey Mancini. Like I think I think with Mervis coming up, he's going to get regular reps. I don't know how many of those come at first base versus DH or some kind of combination between the two. But he's up. He's up for good. The only in terms of like, and yeah, it's easy to say, you know, grab him. The only like hesitation I would have in addition to kind of what we've already brought up is two career steals. And especially like in what we've seen this year in fantasy with stole, with that stolen base bar being so much higher than what we've been used to seeing in recent years, getting a zero essentially at stolen base is i don't want to say tough to roster but you can't have too many of those guys on your team so that that's one kind of one thing i'd hesitate a little bit on is if you're struggling in steals and, and considering blowing the bank for mervis I, I i i'd question that but everything else in this package looks fantastic i mean matt mervis has not stopped hitting since the beginning of 2022 don't know why it took this long for chicago to call him up but uh glad glad he is up yeah, the one it's... other thing I wanted to mention was the, the hype factor on him because this is a guy that the community, the Cubs community, fantasy community, everybody is absolutely enamored with him, in love with him. Like, I think uh, half the people I follow on Twitter have, like, you know, Matt Mervis fan, MASH fan, you know, something in their handle. Like, he's got so much hype. And you just, uh, you know, of course, he's not a pitcher. I was going to bring up Brandon Fott, but all the hype coming into it and then that one start. And then, of course, You've got your unseasoned players or people that are very fickle. They're like, oh, I knew fought sucked or I'm done with it, you know, whatever. So, you know, always have to kind of keep things in perspective. Like if Matt Mervis comes up and he starts off, you know, 0 for 15 in his first three games, doesn't mean he sucks necessarily. And and then again, he may not is not going to be necessarily the second coming of, you know, Mike Trout or whatever. So, um, you know, always good to keep perspective on those type of things. Yeah, absolutely. And keep Chris Welsh in your thoughts as you think of Brandon fought today. He was one of the bigger fans. He's an Arizona guy. Uh, Listen to ITL. It was pretty funny yesterday. If you guys haven't heard it, actually, just going over Brandon Fott, I would definitely recommend that as well. Now, before we actually like fully get into this, I do want to give you guys a minute to just tell everybody about what it is you do. I'd be shocked if anybody who's listening doesn't know you guys. But Ryan, why don't you tell the people where you can be found and what it is you got going on? Uh, sure thing. I'm on Twitter at Ryan BHQ, like you said at the top, but I've been at Baseball HQ for... A little over 10 years now, which is pretty wild to think about. Um, also do a, so I write two articles a week at HQ. I do a, a speculator column during the week and then a fab column on Sunday mornings during the season. And then I started this last year with our good friend, uh, Casey Bubba, Bubba in the Bloom podcast that we record every Thursday night. 
And um, I guess we'll be competing with your podcast today, Joe, on Friday. We release it every Friday morning. So um, that's been a lot of fun. If you're interested in checking out Bubba and my banter, we're at Bubba and the Bloom podcast. Definitely a must listen every single week. You guys need to be listening to Bench with Bubba and specifically Bubba and the Bloom. uh, When Ryan is taking part in those, they are fantastic episodes. Vlad, what do you got going on at FTN? You guys are competing, it sounds like, in terms of the uh, the fab columns on Sunday. But what else you got going on? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, you, a, a smart player. They take it all in because there are going to be players that uh, you know I might be higher on, or Ryan might be higher on, or players that we may have missed in, in one another's column. And it's good to get perspective from uh, from different folks. And I always, uh, you know, recommend that people grab as many resources as they can. And obviously, we have a lot of crossover in our. Um, you know, with our subscribers and, and obviously a lot of people, you know, have both, but uh, yeah, FTN fantasy, we have a nice little team in place. We've got uh, a weekly uh, hitter and pitcher rankings and articles. Um, and I do my fab column usually comes out on uh, Saturdays, do an update for that on Sunday. Got the podcast, uh, the FTN fantasy baseball podcast with Matthew Davis that comes out on Wednesdays. And then, uh, yeah, you know, rather active discord and uh, people in the chat and just a, a nice little community there. Yeah, you guys need to be checking out the work of both Vlad and Ryan. They're two leaders in the industry. And if you're not checking out their work, then you are just by default going to be falling behind. So definitely check them out on Twitter and their great podcast work and written work. There's just a ton of content coming out from both of them. Now let's talk a little bit about how your teams have fared so far, because that does play into the whole draft day regret kind of storyline we're going to be talking about here. Vlad, so far, we talked just briefly off the top, but how have your teams fared in general so far this season? Well, what I'm most happy about, and we'll start with the positives, is uh, the auction that I drafted in Vegas, and it was my first time drafting an auction or auctioning in five years. That's off to a fantastic start. It's got a nice mix of uh, of good hitters, a lot of my uh, lower, um, lower, I guess, uh, ADP gems, uh, you know, the Outmans, Josh Lowe's of the world who have been off to good starts, Andy Diaz and whatnot. Uh, and the pitching has survived. It just hasn't, uh, you know, it kind of danced, has been dancing through raindrops a little bit more than some other teams. Uh, I've got one good main event team. The other couple right now are off to really bad starts. You know, you get uh, Luis Garcia pulled in a star. You get a flare, you get flaredied, you get Braxton Garretted, you get, uh, you know, fodded and, you know, and, and it just happens, right? Um, it's a long season. A lot of us are going to have bad ratios and deal with so. Uh, it's a nice mix. Um, I, I usually don't worry too much about where I'm at in the standings at this point of the season. Um, but of course, it feels better to have your, you know, your teams up there and in the mix. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's a mixed bag. Got some good teams, got some bad teams, got a whole bunch in between. If you're at a point where your ERA is under five in a league, I think you are winning uh, at this point of the season, considering how it's gone. Ryan, how are your teams looking so far? Yeah, it's funny the, the the point Vlad mentioned about like actual specific spot in the standings. Because if Joe, you had asked me this a week ago, my one main event team uh, was in the seven hundreds out of like seven fifty, I think, in in terms of number of entries in the main. And so that was borderline embarrassing, or probably not even borderline embarrassing. That was embarrassing. Uh, and in a week, it's now up in the four fifty. So it's just like, it's just crazy how things can jump around so much. Uh, for me in general, kind of a mixed bag, just reading down my NFBC list, it's one, three, six, six, seven, thirteen. 13, uh, first in labor and in the, in the mix in tout wars mix. So, um, I think more than anything, it's how, how many red suitcases do you have on your team right now? Like more important than the standings is which key pieces have you lost 
to injury. That's I'm sure we'll talk about that in a little bit as well. Just uh, the rise of injuries this year. I think that's just as important as where your team currently sits in the standings, because I know it is May now, but it is um, it can it can fluctuate quite a bit. And like I just said, with my main event team jumping 250 spots in a week, like it, it, it can move that much. Yeah, with the volatility we've seen from especially starting pitchers, it's easy to see how you can jump from first to 15th back up to first again uh, in the span of a couple of weeks. What is your take on the number of injuries we've seen so far and coupled with the poor performances we've seen from starting pitchers? I've seen some people blame it on the pitch clock. I don't really know if we can nail it down to that in particular. Ryan, do you have any take on why we're seeing pitchers get blown up? Do you think it has anything to do with the rule changes? I think it's so hard to tell. Like I, I don't, and I don't even know if you can pin it down on one factor. There's so many different like moving parts to the rules this year for everything this year that I, I, I do think correlation is not causation in this in this aspect. Like there was a really good article that Eno Saris put out on the Athletic this week uh, that looked specifically at pitchers, and that was basically his conclusion as well. Like other fact, I mean velocity. In, in addition to the pitch clock, like velocity is still is up. Uh, compared to last year so pitchers are throwing more at max effort or closer to their max than ever before um there are 13 man pitching staff so are there quote unquote phantom il stints that are kind of inflating that number um that's a mandated number to only have 13 pitch clock like last year in the minors injuries declined last year from 2021 the first year in the high minors that they implemented the pitch clock so i think it's yes it's easy to say and, and i mean it's a fact that injuries are up i don't think it's as cut and dry as saying it's because of the pitch clock is that a factor perhaps but i think there's a lot of other uh, factors at play too vlad what's yeah, your take on it i mean ryan pretty much nailed it you, you can't just you know blame it on a specific thing like oh it's the pitch clock or it's this or that uh and and i haven't seen the actual uh numbers or or a percentage of, of players and uh, on the IL in comparison to last April, but you know every year th- has been throwing us new pickles. Ever since the uh, that 2019 season, you had the the you know the, the, the happy fun ball that year. Then you had COVID in 2020. Then 2021, everyone was readjusting and kind of you know slowly coming back. Last year, you had the strike uh, and you know all, all that and how that affected pitchers early on. Um, so man, I don't know. It, it's really hard to tell um, and. I mean, I just think in general, some of our assumptions about hitting going to be up and the ball uh, being more uh, hitter friendly was, you know, is actually ending up being the case. Uh, And there will be some bounce back for some pitchers. But for the most part, yeah, I mean, I think in general, the the bar has been set a little higher for for ratios for ERA and whip. And that's just kind of how it's going to be. And we got to continue to dance through raindrops and and avoid uh, those those bashings. Yeah, it seems like what from what I've seen from ERA and whip numbers, they're kind of mirroring to some extent what we saw in 2019 when the ball was different. Is there any thought that maybe there is a different ball? I know there's still there was a report at the end of last season about the Yankees getting preferential treatment. It's kind of beyond our our ability to know. But any thought from either of you guys about maybe they're still messing around with the balls? Have you heard anything in that regard? I haven't heard anything per se, but I do think that it's it it's a different ball this year than it was last year. Yeah. You agree, Ryan? I I mean, offense is way up. And how many, you know, you could say perhaps pitch clock related, like pitchers are having to go quicker. They're not, you know, throwing with the all time stuff. But kind of what I was just saying with injuries, I think it's hard to pin the offensive environment on just one thing. Uh, But in this case, the ball probably is a little bit different than last year. One thing that like, at least 
I haven't noticed many blisters um, this year. So I don't know if it's like a seam thing or just the composition of the ball. I'm sure um, we will have studies that come out very soon as more uh, fans get foul balls and can actually submit that to physics, uh, like legitimate physicists that look at this kind of stuff. Um, it will, I'm sure we'll find out very soon, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there was something changed. I'm also, I've never given MLB the complete uh, benefit of the doubt that they are competent enough to be able to control the ball exactly and fine tune it exactly to what they need either. So who knows? Um, but it's, it's certainly unmistakable that offense is up. Pitchers are getting blown up and we just have to try to adapt to that. And also Ryan and I are not uh, physicists, but we do play them on Twitter. <laughs> yes, of course. Everybody plays multiple roles here on Twitter for sure. And when I was at, uh, in Arizona at the, at the fall star game, I was sitting beside Eno and Justin Mason, Sarah Sanchez, and Eno was telling us about how the process for them collecting balls last year. And the league did not want to give them away willingly. They had to be like paying fans yeah. for foul balls and having to find their way to get their hands on them any way they can. It makes you think there might be something there that they don't want. To, you know, they don't want every ball to be examined because they might find something uh, that the league does not like, but it's, it's very complicated to figure out the environment this season Maybe it is another happy fun ball year so far. It kind of looks like that. And, you know, my pitchers don't like it, but my hitting uh, stats definitely do to this point of the season. What have been the big surprises for you guys? Is it starting pitching? Is there something else? Fly, we'll go to you here. Is there something that has really stuck out to you? Maybe it's stolen bases, something with the rule changes. What's your biggest takeaway so far? I mean, there are so many. The one thing that I wanted to point out was the stolen bases. Like, I, I expected an increase, but not to this level. Uh, and it really sets that bar higher as far as what you need to get uh, on your team in order to make it happen. And I think this could be a year where, you know, having an, a rabbit like an Asturi Ruiz can be a big benefit, even if he doesn't end up heading uh, a lot of home runs. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just wild. I, I, I researching and, and just looking into things for this specific uh, podcast, I had looked just I was curious. I, I remembered a few 60 stolen base seasons uh, not too long ago, but I was like, you know, when's the last time somebody stole 70 and noticed that was uh, that was Jose Reyes. He stole 78 back in 2007. Quite a uh, long time. At this I wouldn't point. Have, yeah, I wouldn't have guessed that one. I mean, yeah. And then it was Potsednik, Scott Potsednik uh, a couple years prior. But yeah, it's been a long time. And so, yeah, the poll was who between uh, Ronald Acuna, you know, you can only put four options there and got to put one for the other. So it, it was Ronald Acuna, uh, Asturi Ruiz and uh, Corbin Carroll as the three. And of course, you know, I mean, you've got people thinking it could be Mateo or, uh, you know, Mullins or there, there are a lot of guys, but it'll be interesting. Like how many guys steal over 50? Uh, what will the composition of teams winning main events and their leagues look like as far as stolen bases are concerned? And then, you know, relating that back to how you got those stolen bases, like through the draft and or through fab and, and those sort of things. Yeah. I'm trying to guess, like I, I have never played the main event, but I'm, I'm just off the top of my head. Will it be 200 plus steals? You think that'll need to like talk? We'll, we'll, let's like project the main event overall leader in stolen bases and 200 will do it. 250, like, where do you guys think that number will lie? I don't know what it was last year, honestly, off the top of my head. Um, it'll definitely be a lot more I this season. The biggest thing, hundreds. too, like, it's harder, you need more and more just to be in the pack. Yeah, so it's not even about like who leads the main, it's how much you even need to compete. So I don't know, like I, definitely the stolen base thing in terms of like surprises for this year is near the top of the list. The, the thing I'll say about that is like we kind of expected it like during draft season as things were leading up to opening day. 
the research was kind of more and more clear that like get ready for this especially like once spring training started happening so like i think we at least most of us at least saw this coming one thing that i in terms of like a, a true surprise that i had no idea was coming was this like wave every week of starting pitcher prospect call-ups i think that has totally changed the strategy for fab uh this year and i don't i don't i'm i'm not smart just like i'm not a physicist i'm not a lawyer either i'm not smart enough to claim that this is a result of the cba um that was put in place starting last year or if this is just kind of a one-year one-off kind of a thing but we haven't had this type of decision making in years past where we need to decide when to pounce on a Taj Bradley, when to pounce on maybe a discounted Mason Miller because his innings aren't there, when to pounce on Tanner Bybee, who from a workload standpoint is all the way there, but will Cleveland keep him in the rotation all year? Like that's a totally different set of decision making than we've had in recent years where we just kind of all waited until like super two late May, early June. There was this wave of call-ups. I mean, that that was the cause of the original Fabapalooza back in 2019. Like everyone got called up the same week, and you kind of knew that they were going to stay all year. This season, like that, that's been the big surprise to me is trying to figure out which of these starting pitcher prospects you should go not all in on in Fab, but you should go like 100, 200 plus, and which ones you shouldn't. I think the right and wrong answers to those questions are going to go a long way and in dictating who wins or does not win their league this year. So that's been um, that uh, for me, that's been the biggest, like out of nowhere surprise. Have you guys in general been in on these guys getting called up? Have you been throwing down 10 plus percent bids on, on these young arms getting called up? I know Vlad, you went pretty hard on by Bybee last week. Yeah. And it was a, it was a real struggle. And I got, I caught some crap uh, from some people that are like, Oh, uh, high two hundreds, keep them honest bids. Huh? Um, you know, it it was a really uh, tough decision for me because you 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 exactly like Ryan said, you have to decide whether you want to pounce now, and then uh, you know that all the other uh, all these other stud starting pitchers are going to come out later. But the biggest risk is spending twenty five plus percent on a player that you know it, it was scary when the comebacker came back in that Yankees game at him at his hand. It was his non pitching hand, but like that's it, and then your moment's over, and you're you know, I don't want to say your season's over but you're really hamstrung with uh, with the limited budget. And I'm already kind of uh, an aggressive fabber. Um, and I hadn't been in the past. And I think it's just really kind of digging into the article and kind of knowing that all my stuff is out there in bid ranges and really want to want to make sure that I get my guys. And it's kind of been a, a difficult quandary over the last couple of years. But sometimes I feel like I let my intuition or instinct guide me there. And so with Bybee, for example, I had originally, I put in, bids and you know between 250 to 280 uh for my 15 teamers uh on saturday with the uh with basically with the idea that i was going to let my true feelings come out within that 24 hours and most likely lower him and then put you know 100 something keep him honest and if i get him great and for some reason something made me stick with him there's just something like i liked about him they were solid you there are going to be a lot of guys like that you don't know, but there's just some feeling about it that I had to stick with it and, and make sure I got them. A part of that is because the ratios have been getting mashed and you do want to get some solid arms, but it is such a risk at that price point and the fact that, uh, you know, one little injury or getting sent down or whatever or getting Tosh Bradley, you know, anything can happen. My This is my first year in the NFBC. I've been playing fantasy for seven seven years now. 
which I know not as long as a lot of people in the industry. I am a younger guy, so it just happens to, to be that way. But I've only done Yahoo Fab Leagues before where, the, where you have a $100 budget. People generally, I don't think, take that seriously in Yahoo League. So it was hard for me going into the NFBC this year to kind of figure out how much exactly to to be how aggressive to be uh, early in the season i'm generally sitting at this point in most of my leagues between seven and eight hundred fab dollars left i've been trying to be a little more conservative and i think it'll just be a learning process over these next several years and especially if this continues over the next few years with the way the cba was changed last year it incentivizes teams to bring up prospects a little bit earlier maybe this is something we'll have to deal with uh, year after year going forward deciding how much if at all we want to bid on these young unproven arms because sometimes it looks very good. Sometimes it, it, it's it's such a mixed bag, right? Taj Bradley has looked fantastic. He went back down. He'll be up again soon, probably. But it's just you don't you can never win, right? Even if even if you win, it's it's hard to actually succeed uh, in those bids because of the volatility of these young arms in general. It's very tricky, but it's also very fun. Uh, going in the NFBC this year has been a lot more interesting than my usual Yahoo and, and CBS and Fantrax leagues for sure. It's been a lot of fun. Let's talk about some regrets now. Let's start with Ryan. Whether it's somebody that you <laughs> wish you drafted more or wish you drafted less, what player? What, what's your biggest regret so far uh, of draft season? My biggest regret, um, of which I have many, but I would say being and we'll see. But being being the one of the high people on Aaron Nola and Brandon Woodruff. Uh, so far has not worked out for me at all. And I think one of those is bad luck in terms of Brandon Woodruff. Like I didn't see that injury coming at all. Um, I still actually think once he comes back, hopefully in the second half, um, he'll be fine. Aaron Nolan, I'm a lot more concerned about. So being, being in on those two guys has definitely hurt. The reason why I kind of struggle a little bit with like a true regret is some of the guys going around were like Jacob deGrom, Max Scherzer, who got torched by Detroit yesterday after a suspension. You got Sandy Alcantara with like a five ERA. There's just been a lot, I think, a lot of regrets at the top of the starting pitcher pool. But Nolan Woodruff, Nolan Woodruff specifically for me, um, are near the top of my list because I've got a lot of pitching staffs built around them as my anchors. Yeah, it's, it's with Woodruff, it's impossible to to predict that kind of thing. With Nola, I still feel like he'll be fine in the long term. I had somebody ask me the other day if they should drop him in a 12-team league. I'm nowhere near Ooh. that point yet. But I understand the frustration. I think it will get a lot better. For me, that Corbin Burns. Uh, I drafted uh, Corbin Burns when I did my preseason starting pitcher rankings. I had him at number one. feel very foolish at this point doing that. Um, I still feel like he'll probably get better, but I don't think he'll end up anywhere near uh the number one starting pitcher vlad what what's your biggest regret or i should say what player do you regret drafting the most i guess based on the way we've started this one off so um i i, I do have a, a handful of players that i have um a high percentage of shares of that are not off to good starts and on the hitting side that would be tyler o'neill it would be anthony rendon and even tyler uh, uh taylor ward who uh he basically just had a cold three weeks in between i think he this series he's like you know six for uh, 13 or something like that so he's he's getting on base he's hitting again uh, and he did have a nice first week of the season but obviously jury's still out there these guys i'm not getting too worried about especially someone like rendon uh rendon who uh was you know picked around pick 200 250 and i don't have to start him every week if i don't want to uh i am happy with some of my fades like my my tunnel uh tunnel vision fades 
uh, guys that I just felt were too high based on their price points. It just didn't make sense to me. It was you know, guys like Gunnar Henderson, Von Grissom, Dustin May because of the innings limitations, obviously not the skills. Uh, but I think my biggest regret would probably being uh, too tunnel visioned on the pitchers in the early round. So I ended up with a crap ton of Max Scherzer and uh, Rysel Iglesias. And of course, the Iglesias was just bad luck, but I was just convinced he was going to be the best pitcher in, in baseball. Uh, I'm sorry, the, the, you know, basically the top reliever in baseball. And in that range, whenever I was drafting in a 15-team or a DC, I, you know, I did mix in a Devin Williams here, didn't really get any Jordan Romano, wasn't really in on Ryan Presley, but I just, I don't know, just kept clicking that button. And then lo and behold, exactly what you don't want to happen happens. And it feels like it happens every year. So I need to be more careful with that. Uh, Scherzer, I was just like, he's going to be a top five pitcher this year. There's no problems. What's the issue? And now I got to say, I'm definitely concerned, right? Um, you know, especially when you start kind of reading into things too much and, uh, you know, after the whole little cheating scandal and then the suspension, and now he comes back and gets bombed. Like, does he really need some, you know, help to, you know, to be pitching here in these, you know, the twilight of his career? I don't know, but I hope he's fine. And, and I hope he bounces back because I need him tremendously. When you look at what he did last year, and they were doing regular checks on hands and gloves and hats and belts and, and the whole nine yards, I don't remember him getting rung up at all. Maybe I don't. I don't really think he did last year. And he pitched to I believe it was his lowest ERA he'd had in, in quite a while. It was like a low twos ERA. Is this something where he is just getting older and he needs to have an extra edge? Is it just one bad start that we're reading too much into? I really don't know uh, exactly at this point. I still feel like he'll be fine. Like I don't, I don't think that he is somebody who has relied upon. I saw this, this video earlier. I think it was Barstool or something. So I should probably take it with a grain of salt. But they're saying Max Scherzer's Hall of Fame case is in the toilet because you know he's been outed nah. as a cheater. <laughs> nah, I don't know for there. It, yet. it got its clicks, I'm sure. But oh, I'm sure that got. I'm sure it got uh, nice impressions on that. I don't think we're there yet. I think we're still probably going to be fine. And I don't, I don't think that he is somebody who needs to rely on cheating. I don't even think he was cheating, really, based on the way that he was talking after the game. He was swearing up and down on his kids' graves. That I believe him. Cheating. I believe him, too. Uh, you know, he was pretty heated there. I don't know if you'd get that heated unless he's, you know, give him the Oscar if he was if he was faking mm -hmm. there. But I, I think that he was probably being fairly genuine. And this was just a bad start, which can happen to anybody. So I wouldn't be too, too concerned about Max Scherzer. On the flip side of that, which players are you having some FOMO on? Who are you wishing that you drafted a lot more, Vlad? It's I think it's those second tier outfielders, the ones that are basically when you look at the scoring leaders and the fantasy, you know, Raiders, uh, the guys at the top. So that would be like a Dulles Garcia, Randy Rosarena, and even to some degree, Brian Reynolds. And this was a, a tier in the outfield where I wasn't really drafting these guys. And granted, I think Rosarena was was going higher. He was typically a third round pick. Uh, but I usually hadn't been clicking that button. Usually I'm looking at a starting pitcher around there. Uh, and I knew he was good. I, you know, obviously I was uh, big, big on a lot of the raise, uh, but for, but I wanted to get the the value raise for the most part. So did not end up on it with a lot of him. So obviously that is quite the regret. Uh, and, and then of course, Adolis Garcia, I mean, like, you know, fade, fade, fade him once shame on me, uh, fade him second year in a row. Uh, you're, you're an idiot. <laughs> He's a tricky one, and I was talking about this on the show the other day that he's kind of proven it at this point. He is, he's a stud. I mean, I, we've, we've wanted to fade him for the last couple of years. I guess the low batting average, the plate skills weren't what people wanted to see necessarily. He's a stud. Like, I think at this point we have to kind of just crown him as being maybe not you know a first-round player, but a second or a third-round pick next season. I think it is pretty likely if he keeps this up. Last year, stats, he, he looks like he could surpass those uh, across the board. He's looked fantastic so far. 
Ryan, who do you have some FOMO on? Who do you wish you drafted more this season? Is it Adelise or is it somebody else? Um, I'm gonna go the I'm gonna go the entire team route, and I'll give Vlad credit on this because I know Vlad before the season you were on in on those Rays, and I I just I have FOMO on basically not drafting really any Rays. Got Yandy Diaz in like a league or two, but that's about it. Randy Rosarena is the top of that list to go back to that. Aaron Nola, Brandon Woodruff thing. Um, that's why I did not draft a Rosarena because those guys were all kind of going in that late second, early third part of, of 15 teamers. But the Rays have, I think, seven guys, seven hitters with six or more home runs. We're seeing the Wander Franco like narrative that even, even I was behind this. You know, give me, I need to see him hit home runs and steal bases before I take him. Well, now Wander Franco has six homers, seven steals, and is hitting over 300. Um, Brandon Lau has been fantastic. Josh Lowe, even like Taylor Walls. I mean, that's not really a draft regret, but um, I don't know. Just just not having enough raise. That lineup looks absolutely stacked. And uh, I don't know if it's just a team. Um, it'd, be, it'd be interesting to dive into this quite a bit more, actually, if this, if this is like a team approach thing or, or what's exactly going on. It's just crazy to see this many number of hitters from the same team breaking out all at the same time um, without really any like sign that this is going to slow down. I mean, obviously they're not going to be what they were in the first few weeks of the season, but they look like an absolute juggernaut, at least, uh, at least they're hitters. Well, I was going to say that I think also um, I, I, I got there in some ways for the wrong reasons. And part of that is what I mean is the early season schedule, because you, you notice they were facing what the tigers, the, nationals the you know even the red sox look kind of bad at that point just it looked like they could get off to a nice start and that's obviously why it's not a reason why i drafted these guys but you just kind of figured if they get off to a nice little start then things could really sort of you know pan out for them um but uh, on the flip side ryan they they don't a lot of those guys don't play every day that's the other thing you're not dealing with that like man do i play loud do i or i mean josh Lowe? do i play loud do i play siri this week it's it's really a, a headache trying to guess every week yeah, it's a headache setting a weekly lineup. Daily changes. I mean, they're fantastic. Josh Lowe, Lau, Lowe. I actually, I, I cannot keep it straight in my head. It's Josh Lowe, Brandon Lau. Brandon Lau is the only Lau, right, Ryan? Yes, I think. I think that's right. How does Nathaniel pronounce it? Lowe. Lowe. I think the he's rest Nathaniel Lowe, and he's brothers with with Josh, Josh. Lowe. Yeah, <laughs> that could <laughs> be sp- wrong. I'm pretty confident in that. <laughs> Uh, it'll be fun you should know as, as semi-professional I, podcasters. The three I think they're three brothers in that family, and they were all on the Rays at one point. Yeah, like yeah, like Josh Nathaniel was on the on the Rays at that point. And Keep then, it nice and simple we'll, for us. Yeah, we'll we'll see. We'll figure we'll figure it out later. We mentioned Wander Franco. I didn't put this on the sheet because it just happened overnight. What do you guys think about his uh, his juggling act yesterday in the infield? Is it are we reading too much into this? Is it a big deal? Is it what, what do you what do you guys think? Is this anything really? It was fun. I thought it was really cool. And he's obviously, it's a little risky. Like if that doesn't work out, Franco's getting dragged for a while, <laughs> but it looked freaking cool. I think we need more flair. We need more personas in the game. And uh, I was, I was totally fine with it. Vlad, what do you I, think? I mean, it's great. It was cool. Um, you know, I, I, I'm an old man yelling at clouds with when it comes to fab, but, but things like that, that that's good for the game. Give us more attention, get us a little bit more of the market share from, from football. Uh, the only thing I, first thing I started to think was 
when is it, is, when is it going to do it again? And when is this going to kind of catch on with the league or, or managers going to get pissed? Cause not all managers are as cool as Kevin cash. And, and his comment afterwards was, 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 you know, was interesting. I, something about like, uh, oh, I didn't, kid, yeah, I didn't see, I didn't hear that. Yeah. His kid wanted to do it or, or say something like that. And he's like, well, not everyone has that, you know, that, I guess that natural ability or talent or something like, like Wander Franco. So it wasn't a negative comment, but I'm just curious when, when, when we see it again and, and if it might like kind of take the league by storm. Yeah. He might get uh, some chin music if he keeps it up. Potentially we'll see how the rest of the league reacts. I just worry that it's a yeah, high Bum, risk. Gunner is not in the league anymore. He, we won't get <laughs> chin music for it. Don't worry. I just worry. It's a high risk, low reward play. You know, it panned out, so it looks good. But like you said, if you bobbled that, if you threw, you know, if there's something, then we're we're talking about it in in a whole different perspective. I will say that as a Blue Jay fan, if I saw Bo Bichette doing that kind of thing, my heart would probably stop beating. Uh, I don't don't really want to see it for my own teams. I think as a whole, it's good to have that kind of flair. But I do think it's pretty risky, you know, for a young guy. I know he is blossoming. He's not somebody who's going to have to worry about losing playing time. I just... I, I something hits me the wrong way about it. And I'm the youngest guy probably in the industry. And say, you're the I'm, youngest of our of the three of us here. <laughs> so it's not the old man yelling at the clouds, although maybe no. I'm just an old soul. I don't know. I just, something hit me kind of the wrong way about it a little bit. If it, as long as it pans out, then, you know, by all means, more power to you. But when that, when he eventually drops one, he's going to, he's going to hear about it. I mean, the first thought I had was also he, it was, it was, it wasn't something he thought. I don't think it's something he thought about or planned it was just like a natural feeling. It was probably something he had done in practice and it just, it was instinctual and he just yeah. did it. Like he just knew he was going to make that play. So um, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens from this point on. Yeah, definitely fun though. It does add some excitement to the game for sure. Uh, we got a couple questions here. I put it out on Twitter yesterday. You guys could throw any questions, any of your biggest draft day regrets, uh, regrets. Danielle Salinger says her biggest regret hey. is drafting at all, which hard to blame. <laughs> <at this point. laughs> uh carlo uh chris torres says trey turner over ronald acuna at the 101 he's regretting that i think turner will probably be fine maybe he won't reach acuna's level this season but i still think trey turner's pretty safe bet to return close to first round value you guys agree there he always yeah. does that's yeah. what he does now with harper back for sure yeah i don't have really a big concern there uh mike carter host of the uh, fantasy baseball beat over at triple play is asking was i correct to devalue starting pitching this year I don't even know what the answer is. I think it might be too early to tell at this point because of the way we've seen the elite tier of pitchers really not perform. Was it better to wait and grab some of those later round guys? It looks like that might have been the right call, but I think it might be still too early to tell. Do you guys have thoughts on this? I, I, yeah, I mean, I think it's well, it's definitely too early to to make like a definitive answer on that. The, the other thing, I mean, the, the, the big point that I'll make is you still, even though pitching is bad this year, like you still need to fill out nine guys in pitching rotation and if you kind of dive deeper and and don't take those top flight guys um i think it's just as risky as ever um the guys that you hit on if you hit on a spencer strider garrett cole like you are that much further ahead in the game uh given where the bar has dropped for starting pitching so um i don't think so i think i would prioritize starting pitching if i had to redraft today I don't think I would push it down much, if at all, just because, again, it's all relative. Um, ERA is up by like 0. 0.3, 0. 0.4 over last year. Um, you still need those top guys to, uh, to to anchor that rotation, even if some of them 
on my team, of course, uh, have not worked out so far. So um, no, I, I, and maybe my, I mean, Mike, yeah. Was he right to devalue starting pitching? Yeah. I mean, it, it all kind of goes back to <laughs> the players. I mean, which guys did you, did, if you went early, did you go for Burns or did you go for Strider? Did you go for DeGrom or did you go for uh, McClanahan? Um, those types of decisions. So, yeah. Did you draft Sonny Gray? I guess is a huge question mm-hmm. there as well. Cause he is mm-hmm. the best pitcher in the world at this point. Vlad, what do you think? I mean, Ryan nailed most of it. It's just, it, it's especially the last part. It's, it's who did you draft, right? And, and and get that right mix of 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 pitchers kind of scattered throughout your draft. Uh, and then did you kind of avoid the guys that appear to be uh, landmines early on? We don't necessarily know that they're going to be. Like, for example, I still think Corbin Burns is going to end up as a top five pitcher this season. Uh, I think, you know, a lot of those those top end guys will, it'll things will even out for a lot of them. Uh, I will mention that I had looked back to last April versus this April and granted ERA is up across the league for the most part, the number of starting pitchers with an ERA under three, uh, that qualified was basically the same as last year. It was 26 Hmm. to 28. So there really wasn't much of a difference. And also there was the same, uh, sort of, uh, of those, those late round guys or the fab guys, the same percentage of, of them, right? There was a bunch of them. It's always, you know, this year it's the Wade Miley's, Eduardo Rodriguez's. Last year it was Tony Gonsolin, Kyle Wright. So it's just kind of the same mix every season. It's just exacerbated because of these big blowups, right? Like, I mean, nobody wants to get hit with, you know, seven earned runs. And lately for me, it feels like every day, like every single day, something's happening to me. And and this just going back to the Adolis Garcia point we were talking about, I was watching that uh, at bat and Fought was literally, I mean, all he needed to do was get him out to get out of that inning and probably get the win if they hadn't scored more runs. But I was looking at Adolis Garcia, and if you watch baseball long enough, you just know, you're like, this dude's going to get a hit. He just looks like a freaking amazing baseball player, just like a beast, like super confident. This poor rookie standing there, like, he's in, Brandon Fought's in trouble. And that's, of course, what happened, you know, big, you know, double in the gap, and, and that's it. Game was over. Looking at the ERA leaders this year, there's some there's some interesting names if you just look at the top ten. Sonny Gray leading the way, and then Garrett Cole, Justin Steele, Bryce Elder, Luis Castillo, Wade Miley, Kershaw, Ashcraft, Shane McClanahan, and Anthony Discalfani. Probably not what we were expecting. Maybe four of the guys there: Cole, uh, Castillo, Kershaw, McClanahan. You kind of expect, but definitely uh, been a bit of a strange year for starting pitching as a whole. I guess it's like it, well, you guys nailed it. It depends on who you drafted because if you did wait a little bit and you took Justin Steele, you took Ashcraft, you took Marcus Stroman, Eduardo Rodriguez, then you're sitting very pretty right now and you were fine to devalue starting pitching. But of course, like you said, if you get Cole and you got Strider and you got Luis Castillo, then you're probably going to be mm-hmm. somebody who drafts starting pitching fairly highly again uh, next season. Dave McDonald, oh, you got a point there? No, I was just going to actually the one name that you listed, Joe, the ERA leaders that just kind of cracks me up was Bryce Elder. Because yeah. I, I do remember, like, yes, there is a fourth, fifth rotation piece in Atlanta. It's going to be really good this year. And in draft season, everyone thought it was Jared Schuster or Dylan Dodd. And uh, it turns out lurking in the shadows yep. is, at least fade so the, far, Bryce Elder. Always fade the masses. Uh, by the way, Bryce Elder, uh, I, I did want to get your take, uh, Ryan, on this because uh, we had brought it up on our pod last week or earlier this week. Some of these guys with a huge differential between ERA and FIP, and I know you know FIP really isn't the go-to. It's kind of the least uh, sticky of all the metrics. But when you see a guy like a Bryce Elder or even like a Grasham Ashcraft, obviously has great stuff, when their ERAs early in the season are so much lower than the rest of their um, you know, XERA, FIP, Sierra, everything, 
are, are, and then you see a high BABIP and you see a high uh, strand rate. Is that like a red flag to you? Like at some point, Bryce Elder is, you know, it's going to give it up, right? So how do you treat guys like that? Yeah, I mean, I lean on that on on the ERA estimators a lot more than the surface ERA. So like, yes, like it's a red flag. I will say in Bryce Elder's case, maybe this is music to your ears. These extreme, extreme ground ball guys tend to outperform yeah. their ERA estimators by quite a bit. And Bryce Elder, again, it's early, but 58% ground ball rate, that is um, it's approaching unicorn territory. Uh, it's not mm-hmm. quite like a Framber Valdez kind of a deal, but if he can keep that ground ball rate like 55 60%, that's going to do quite a bit for his quest to outpitch your FIP, your ex-FIP, that sort of thing. So those these guys at the extremes, like an elder with that extreme ground ball rate, I at least I at least tend to tend to take the ERA estimators with a grain of salt because those tend to treat pitchers like kind of more like normal and elder, at least again, uh with the batted ball outcomes is has been very much not normal. And so that's the one thing I'll add with elder specifically. Alex Cobb is another one of my favorite ground ball pitchers yes. also doing wonders so far this season. Now we got to see if the Giants defense will be able to carry that the whole year. Uh, that's always been a big concern there, but definitely like uh, some of the stuff we're seeing from these ground ball pitchers. We got uh, Dave McDonald asking a question. Now, at what point do you decide in a 12 team league that you should be dropping certain guys? And he's listed off Tyler O'Neill, Ahmed Rosario, Cabrian Hayes. Uh, where do you move on from these guys in those shallower formats? And he noted, Vargas was moved on from by a lot of people only to see him going to tear this week. Where do you guys stand on some of those more fringy guys? Vlad, I know you're a Tyler O'Neill guy. Where do you stand on like Ahmed Rosario, Cabrian Hayes, those guys who you spent decent draft capital on, but haven't panned out so far this season? Well, I mean, considering it's only what less than 20% of the season, if I spent uh, a, a 140 overall pick on somebody like Ahmed Rosario, I'm obviously going to, going to hold him. He's just kind of off to a slow start. Uh, I do look up, you know, at at, 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 at you know the, the underlying metrics. I look up like lineup position and, and team context and things like that to help make a decision. If there's a clear upgrade on uh, out there, then I'll go for it. Um, and of course, it also depends on what categories you might think you you, you may be needing. Uh, but these guys that I've invested in early in the year, the uh, you know, it, had I invested in a Cabrian Hayes, he's still there, you know, near the top of the lineup there in Pittsburgh, and it's a better offense. You know, he steals bases, which you'll need. I'm not just going to you know, give up on him now. What you can do in some of these cases is bench these guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, the other tough decision comes in when, um, you know, a lot of them are, are fringe territory, right? Then, you know, like uh, Matt Mervis comes around. Now you're tempted to bid on him and you have to factor in all these decisions. Like Ryan mentioned at the beginning of the show, do I need stolen? Do I think I'm going to need more stolen bases? Mervis is going to provide that. Can I play this person? Is he going to fit in for me? So a, a lot to kind of digest there with with these type of questions right it's interesting uh vlad you say like so i'm not i'm actually not playing any 12s this year i'm only in 15s and then i'm in one league that's like a 10 team points league but it those decisions in a 12 at least in my opinion i think 12 teamers are even harder than 15 teamers like i know the player pool in 12 teamers is is not as deep but again, I think those decisions every week, like your Matt Mervis, like Matt Mervis in a 15 team league, like is an upgrade over someone most likely at corner utility and a 12 teamer, like you are making those decisions every week. That's, that's tough. Uh, just because replacement level is so high, that Delta between 
who's in your lineup and who's available on waivers. It's just not there. Like in a 12, man, pull my hair out with some of those decisions. And also you're you're much more likely to drop someone that you've just kind of had it had it with. They're more likely to go off. I, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't have like the math on it than the person you're about to pick up. It's just the way it works because you're probably usually leaning to someone that's coming off a hot streak or something like that. And these are like brutal decisions in 12s. And for the Miguel Vargas people a couple of weeks ago, I understood their frustration. But then if you started to look at his actual stats versus his expected in everything in, in Woba, X Woba, X, you know, X slug, all these things, he, he had one of the hugest differentials between his actuals and his estimators. Uh, it, it just knew it was coming at some point, not to say he's going to come out here and, and go 25, 25. He's still, you know, he's still more like a better real life player, I think, than a fantasy guy. But still, you got to be able to like time those things. And like Ryan said, it's much, much more difficult to do in in the 12 team format. 12 teamers are, are hard. They're harder than 15s. Yeah, 15, any sign of life, you pick a guy up with 12s. You kind of need to make those tough decisions sometimes. And you might be making one of those with Matt Mervis. Let's say, guys, you had to rank Mervis, Rosario, O'Neal and Cabrian Hayes for the rest of the season. How would you arrange them? Hmm. Mervis, Rosario, O'Neal and Hayes. Um, I'll still stay O'Neal first. I'll say uh, Rose, uh, Mervis second, Rosario third, uh, tied with Hayes. I think they're just kind of similar guys. They're, you know, 10 homers, 20 steel guys. With yeah, I think I'd agree. That sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, we got an interesting question here. In a 15-team or a mono league, is Billy Hamilton worth a flyer if you need steals? May not get enough at-bats for the average to hurt you in any real way, but could he not provide just a ton of bags, uh, even just from pinch running? I don't think he's probably going to be worth it. I don't know that he's going to do enough for you in a year where there are a lot of steals. Like We need more steals this year, but there's also a lot more steals to go around. I don't know if a single category guy like a Billy Hamilton, like a Miles Straw, like a John Birdie is really going to be that essential and i don't know if like you like the guy said if billy hamilton's going to even get enough playing time to really matter Do you guys have any interest in billy hamilton in a 15 only if i was playing in an 18 or an al only or you're desperate and you really need steals then you when you play you know like the terrence gore type because you just need stolen bases no matter what but i think it's a little too early in the season for that and he'll i mean he might steal five bags in a week and then get demoted the next and DFA'd. So that's just yeah. the life of Billy Hamilton these days. I have actually rostered Terrence Gore <laughs> before yeah. in in Ale only because it is that rough. Um, no, I don't think Billy Hamilton is worth it. He could very well be back in the minors this time next week. The other, I mean, the last piece of that that I'll add on is don't get too cute thinking you need or don't need specific categories this early in the season like yes on some teams it might be very obvious if you've had injuries um to to key pieces but don't just because you're like i don't know 10 home runs behind right now uh, yes we all need more power we all need home runs but don't don't panic at this point in the season trying to make up ground in a specific category what's most likely going to happen is you set yourself back. You set yourself back elsewhere, and there's just so much of the season left over. Try and try and keep it balanced. I don't really even start looking at like specific categories until I don't know mm-hmm. July, August uh, at, at the earliest. Yep. Yeah. Totally fair. One last question here. This one is pretty uh, pretty interesting. I think. Would you trade Mookie Betts for Jordan Alvarez? I think it's maybe a little bit too soon to tell who's going to be more valuable. Vlad, you're an L.A. guy. Are you taking Mookie or are you taking Jordan for the rest of the season? Funny is I uh, 
I had no Mookie shares. I had nothing other than just like a gut feeling that he just, I don't know. I mean, he was fine, but there was just never really a situation where I ended up in him with him. Uh, uh, Jordan Alvarez kind of scares me. Um, I mean, he, well, he scares me because he's arguably, you know, especially with like Judge Hurt now, argu- uh, arguably the best pure slugger in baseball. And the Astros haven't really warmed up. And there will be a period of time where we're like, oh man, he's, you know, hitting two, three homers a day. Like he's amazing. But he scares me because of like the injury concerns. He kind of, you know, got that Eloy Jimenez vibe. Like there's always just something. It was, you know, the, the wrist lingering forever. And then, you know, n- knees before. Like I, I think I, even at this stage in the game and Mookie's age and everything, I mean, it's a leadoff hitter for the Dodgers hitting ahead of Freddie Freeman. Like it's a pretty good spot. I think I would take Mookie. Right. Yeah, if I if I knew Jordan was healthy, I'd go Jordan pretty mm-hmm. easily. But um, to what Vlad was saying, the 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 injuries piling up like that are a little bit scary. The other thing with Mookie, I mean, he's going to be second short and outfield eligible. That's going to be huge um, in the second half once injuries continue to pile and pile on. Mookie's already got eight games at second base, six games at shortstop, so. Um, that's a nice little a nice little add-on. I think in my Tout Wars League, I'm going to have a first base Bryce Harper and a shortstop Mookie, and I had no idea that would happen uh, back when I drafted them in March. That's awesome. I did not have any Jordan Alvarez. I have one share of Mookie bets, and I drafted in Arizona when we did the, one of those live draft yeah. champions. Kind of funny. I was drafting 13th. Steve Weimer was beside me, drafting 14th. And it was a live draft, and Steve... You know, he thought he was it was his turn and he just blurted out Garrett Cole and it was actually my turn. And I ended up <laughs> taking Mookie Betts at 13 and the whole room was like, you should have taken Cole. You needed to take his guy. I was like, uh, I didn't want to change my strategy just based on that. I probably should have been paying attention to what Steve was doing and taking Garrett Cole there, uh, seeing how he has performed so far this season. And obviously, uh, Steve Weimer, definitely somebody that you can uh, pattern your game after. But there's worse yes. people you could uh, you could mom, you could mimic there in the fantasy world. Interesting, though. Interesting conversation, guys. I really appreciate you coming on. It's crazy to think we've got through this many episodes, but I'm glad you guys could come and celebrate it with me. Dude, thank you so much for having us. Congrats on 300. That's uh, That's a huge achievement. It's honestly, you know, if the community wasn't as great and as welcoming as it has been, I don't know that I would have gotten to to where I am not that I've gotten that far but you know when I sent you a message Ryan a year ago I probably had about six followers on Twitter and a lot of people would have ignored that message but you were uh, you're a great guy for coming on Vlad I'm really glad that we got to have you on as well it was fantastic meeting you out in Arizona and hanging out a little bit and we're gonna do it again in November this year I'm assuming Ryan you'll be there for sure uh Vlad you're gonna be back there in Arizona again I'll always I'll always do my best to get out there it's one of the the best weekends of the year it's uh we we actually on hq site we just put up the the save the date so it's november 2nd through the 5th beautiful which is typically in line with years past that first weekend in november so and joe you you you, i think we'll do a little golf outing again on thursday so uh we'll we'll stay tuned for that vlad you're of course invited i know you're 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 not as big of a a golfer as some of us but yeah this year yeah, I think the last time I golfed was like 15 years ago and didn't know you're not supposed to drive over the green. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, set up a uh, set up an attendee hockey game. Yes, yes. injuries, injuries galore. Ryan, I'll be happy to play golf again as long as I'm not paired up with you and there's no money on the line because uh, what did you shoot a 72, 74? 
uh 74 74 as i turn red on the on the on uh-huh. the video yeah 74 it, oh, tied okay. for my best ever which um i got a lot of crap for that from uh from the guys i played with but it was it was a great time oh it was a great time my group was kevin hasting uh chris olson and david mendelson and we were all just trying to crack mm-hmm. 100 and you guys were <laughs> you guys were done before we were even on the back nine i think uh, a lot of fun though guys uh, i want to let you plug your every everything you got going on once more before i let you go Ryan, tell us what's going on at HQ and what you got going on. Yeah, speculator column during the week at HQ, fab column on Sundays, and Fridays is Bubba in the Bloom podcast. Definitely be checking out Bubba in the Bloom, guys. I can't recommend it enough, and I can't recommend the FTN Fantasy Baseball podcast enough either, which is one of the things Vlad is going to tell you about here. Yeah, just that and uh, the, uh, the the fab column uh, coming in over the weekend and all, uh, all of our other great stuff there to, at ftnfantasy.com. Two of the best places you guys can be getting your information from and two of the best people in the industry as well. Go follow Vlad on Twitter at RotoGut. You can find Ryan at RyanBHQ and you can find me at JoeOrico99. If you're looking for all of our different content here at Sports Ethos on the baseball side, go ahead and follow ETHOS Fantasy BB. We're pushing. We're nearly at 1,000 followers there. Really appreciate any support you guys can show. We post all of our podcasts, new different show links articles different updates to our guides and fantasy passes everything is over there and if you're not on twitter you can go check it out at the source at sportsethos.com as well i know twitter is not as friendly of a place as it used to be so i understand if you guys are not on there but you can still get all of our content it's uh, never been friendly (laughs) but it's definitely uh, not as user friendly as it would have been uh, a few months ago in my opinion you guys find it harder to be on twitter these days Really, when my pictures uh, are getting blown up, yes, <laughs> I, I stay away so I don't say anything mean. I've I've always said it is what you make of it. Uh, yeah. If you yes. kind of stay out of the stay out of the mess and you know just post bloom boards and stuff, it, it's fun. <laughs> but that's about it. It's a fun place if you know where to go. And fantasy baseball Twitter is one of the safe yeah. places I think left uh, on Twitter. So make sure you're checking out all the great work from these guys. But until. Well, actually, this is the Friday show, so we will see you again next week. We'll talk two-star pitchers. We'll recap the weekend and do all that great stuff solo, unfortunately. You'll have to listen to just little old me. But until then, guys, have a great weekend, successful fantasy weekend. Spend time with your friends and family. And until Monday, enjoy, guys. Take care.